Last week I said this, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. He's saying, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, I'm in prison for serving Jesus. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. I, last week I said, you know, Paul is really begging them, be as guilty as I am for serving Jesus. And we went through that and uh, there were lots of stuff that we had kind of unpacked there. Connected to that, we're going to chapter six today. We're at chapter six. He talks about well, let's see if we can make, there we go. He talks about um, facing the enemies uh, of, of, of our life. Uh, and there are three of them. We have three things that as Christians we struggle with, that we face uh, in our faith as we try to live out our faith in the world. And so we're going to talk about actually spiritual warfare uh, today. Uh, it's interesting that we do that on, on Halloween. I'm not going to talk about Halloween. I, I, I can, well, I will say one thing. Halloween for me uh, is... Um, when my kids were young, I don't think we should place adult things on little children who just want to go knock next door in their neighbor's house and say, smile, I'm in a clown outfit, and we give them a candy bar. Uh, so I think we leave that for the kids, and tonight we're going to have a little cul-de-sac party, and I spend time with my neighbors, and we hug their kids, and we, we love them. They're like our surrogate grandchildren. But there are other things that happen on Halloween, and we can pay attention to those as we get older and think about them and pray against those things. What do we face in our life? Three things. The world is the first one. Uh, as we face opposition in, in, in our spiritual walk, we face what we look at and the Bible calls the world. And, and that's really the human philosophies about life that oppose God. Uh, and and um, they lead us away from his nature, his purpose, and his plan. Uh, government uh, systems, uh, human ways of, of living, other things. We could, we could pull lots of things into that, but that's what we're talking about. And these belief systems cater in obvious and less obvious ways to the impulses of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the pride of our hearts. And so the Bible talks about that as the world. The Bible goes on and says we also deal with our own flesh. We are fallen creatures. We are people that are created in the image of God, but sin has marred that image. And so we ourselves actually have, have evil uh, within us that we learn to, to, to take on even more. We wear the clothes of evil as we as we live in this world, and the world influences us to wear those clothes. It's our fallen human condition, and it too directs us away from God's nature, his purpose, and his plans for us. Uh, and oftentimes, this has been my experience personally and in working with many, many people. My flesh focuses upon finding security and meaning through power and through pleasure and through wealth instead of through God. And we could have an entire message on that. We have had entire messages on that. But we're not going to stay there uh, this morning. First uh, John puts it this way. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And a little later it says the cravings of our sinful nature, the lust of our eyes, and the boasting of what we have and do comes not from the Father but from the world. And so we have the world, we have the flesh, and then we have the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're going to focus in on the devil here this morning as we go into Ephesians chapter 6. Some things that the Bible teaches clearly about the devil is this. Uh, the devil is a created being who is not equal with God, but created by him and rebelled against him. And so God has cast him away from the presence of God, and now he is this evil force. Uh, he's a personal being who refuses to worship God and seeks to destroy everything God has created, including you. That you are on his agenda to destroy. 
because he is the destroyer. Uh, he's a spiritual being who commands other evil powers. And when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus confronting the spiritual powers and casting out demons and healing people, we see that there's this supernatural spiritual world that we don't, um, we don't see with our physical eyes, but at times we do in the sense of people's behavior and things that are going on. And so he's a spiritual being, and he has incredible authority within the spiritual realm. He's a doomed being. Jesus has defeated him. The cross has taken his power away in terms of, of our ability to be saved and redeemed and to be freed from the curse of sin in our lives. Um, and he is awaiting God's final judgment between the time Jesus died and the time the world concludes. And his names are in the Bible. Tempter, accuser, deceiver, murderer, liar, corrupter, Satan. Jesus called him many of those names. The Bible calls him those names. And so he is this real uh, being that we have to contend with. So we have the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil. We're all good with that? All right, great. So what do we do with that? Here's the truth to remember. The truth to remember is that Jesus has defeated the world. He has defeated our flesh, and he's defeated the devil. Do I hear an amen? Okay, good. So you're with me on that. Listen to what Colossians has to say. This is Paul writing another letter from prison to Colossae. When you were dead in your sins and in your old human nature, God made you, notice, alive with Christ. You were dead, you're alive. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away. He nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, there it is, disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Literally, the picture is for the people he's writing to of a Roman general parading the conquered foes through the streets of Rome after the battle has been won. And they would do that by parading the, uh, the, 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 the captured troops and all of their officers and commanders naked through the streets to shame them in front of the entire population. They had been defeated. Jesus has defeated the enemy and has shamed him by making a public spectacle out of Satan, out of the devil. So that's the truth to remember as we now go into um, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, one more for you here. Uh, Paul just also says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, nothing, including um, the powers of evil, anything in all God's creation cannot separate anyone from God's love when they come to God and live in a relationship with God in his love for them, for you, for me, for everyone who makes that choice. And so the Bible's very clear about that. So here's the summary. Our enemy, the devil, is powerful. He is powerful. Don't, 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 don't play around with him. He's powerful. He's wicked. And he's cunning. I would add to that, as I just said, he's, he, and he's defeated. You do not need to fear him, but you don't, you don't play around with him. Satan and his demons actually have no compassion. They have no principles. They don't play by the rules. It's one of those things, you know, rules, there are no rules. You can throw the rule book out. There's no Geneva Convention or anything like that when it comes to the devil. He will do anything at any time to destroy. No rules. There's no code of honor with him. The only thing that can stop him is the power of God in Jesus who has defeated him. So in our culture, his favorite tactic is this. In our culture, in the Western culture, his favorite tactic is this. Making you think that he doesn't exist. 
I believe that that's probably what he does better uh, than, than, than anything else. He, he basically uh, has people in our culture convinced, except for a few of them, that take him very seriously. Uh, he, he convinces so, so many people that I know uh, that he does not exist. But in other cultures, the devil and his demons are right out in the open. Uh, and I wanted to just talk about that for a minute by inviting up uh, Jim and Vegas. Jim and Vegas, uh, Dargas, you've talked to them before, they've talked to you, uh, spent uh, a couple of decades as missionaries in Peru, in South America. And uh, we were talking this week. I said, you know, I'd like you to share a couple of stories, not to, not to unnerve us, but just to give us an understanding of how in this culture, um, we don't really think much of Satan. We don't think much of the devil. We think that a lot of people think he doesn't exist. In other cultures, they know very clearly he exists, and he's in their lives daily, isn't he? Do you want to tell us a couple of stories uh, about that? Vegas, I'll let you go first. Thank you, Pastor Ken. After we were in Peru for four years, we started to work in the Victor Valley. And very quickly, we came to realize an incredible fear that was present. We had sensed that in the city of Arequipa, but in the Victor Valley, it truly gripped people, and it was through something called duendes. It took us a while to understand what duendes were in their definition. They, they were presence of evil. They were something that could fly, and um, even grown men who were out during the watering at night in the valley, it's all by canal system, so they'd have to go and open up the canals so that the fields could be watered. And they tell us stories about seeing these duendes, and grown men were really afraid. And, and we thought it was just something of the valley. And then as pastors came out to the retreat house, uh, they started to tell us how they had so much difficulty sleeping because the presence of evil was so real for them. And then we had a, a group come out from our own church in Arequipa, and a young boy who not, knew nothing about this duende idea in the, in the valley, which wasn't an idea, it was a reality, saw a duende in the retreat house and was just totally terrified and crying. And, and I want to tell you that that same boy came to Christ later on that week. But we, we didn't know how to combat that other than through prayer. And... So when groups came out, uh, especially from other countries, we would have prayer walks. And, uh, of course, when pastors shared with us that they were having this difficulty, uh, we called group together and prayed. But it took about, I'd say, about a year and a half before the Duendes actually disappeared from the valley. We, we didn't hear about them anymore. And even to the point of, a couple of years later, uh, there was a Baptist group that was in that same retreat house where that boy had been so terrified by the duendes and where pastors had had trouble sleeping. Um, there was an earthquake, and that dear group from the Baptist church got on their knees. Instead of running out of the retreat house, this was on the second floor, they got on their knees and they were praising God. And, and the dear people of the valley who were down from the retreat house, they had a mountain right behind them. So they were running to the fields to uh, get away because they were afraid that mountain might slide down on them. And they told us afterwards what an amazing comfort it was to hear that group praising God. 
let me just add to that uh, what Vegas was saying. That was a, a double earthquake that happened at that time, uh, both out towards the ocean from the camp, about a hundred and some miles. And as they came in, they crossed Etiquipa, and they were registering right around 8, 8.1 on the Richter scale. They said the waves from that earthquake rolled through the valley. They were this high, as high as the waist of a person when they seen it coming. So you can imagine the fear that that would strike in people. You know, uh, if we would call a terrorist a person that kills, destroys, manipulates people through fear, Satan would be the best of them all, the greatest terrorist that ever was. And uh, the stories that we tell are really Satan has used. Now, I don't believe he, he makes the events happen, but he uses the events to cause people to think about him more than they should probably. Well, maybe they should think more about him, shouldn't they? Or we should, at least. In, in uh, September of 1995, the story I want to tell is about the mummy Juanita. She was found as a 12-year-old girl who was offered to the Incan gods way up in the, high up in the Andes. And the archaeologists found her that year and brought her down. And somewhere around December of 95, she came to Etiquipa, a city of a million people. Large city, well-educated universities. There's at least two or three universities in the city. And uh, anyway, they brought her there and put her in the a museum there. And that year, in February, the following year, a plane crashed with over 200 people, and a Baptist missionary was on that plane, actually, who died. And uh, then on August the 5th, yeah, August 15th, that's our anniversary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Etiquipa. <laughs> sorry. No, I think it was the 275th anniversary, if you can believe that. And anyway, uh, that night, they were shooting off fireworks, and a rocket went up from the fireworks and hit a high-tension wire. It came down on this bridge, 35 people. I just looked it up this morning again. 35 people were killed, and 42 people were sent to the hospital from this voltage coming out of this uh, wire that was flying around in the air. And then... Right then, there was, of course, electrical cut. Everything went black in the city of this million people. And we had an earthquake right then, if you can believe that. It was a five point. It wasn't big. It was only five something. And so anyway, but there we are, all shaking, dark, and trembling. And then the next morning, there was a huge accident. Uh, several, a number of cars had crashed anyway, and a bunch of people were killed in that. And then through the following week, uh, the mayor and the council members, they all got together. Now, these are very well-educated people. We're not talking some little village someplace. <laughs> these are smart people. And they decided that they needed to do some sacrifices because the gods were so upset these events were happening to their city. And so they decided they were going to call in some witch doctors and do these goat sacrifices. But 
they said, you know, this isn't really probably going to work because we need a human sacrifice for this. Now, this, this is real. This is in the minds of all the people. And we know these fat sacrifices go on up in the highlands and in different places where they have problems and they still do these sacrifices. You don't read about them in the paper too often, but they do happen. Mm. Thanks for sharing those, those stories. It, it just reminds us again that uh, in other parts of the world, um, Satan is well known, and in fact, he's worshipped, which is what he wants. He wants to be worshipped as God is worshipped, uh, and yet there's only one living God. And uh, it's a fraud when we worship Satan, yes. My favorite verse. Yes, please do that. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God didn't give us a, a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and strength. And that, that's what we claim to uh, hold on to. And a sound mind. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Thanks so much. Thanks for those stories. Uh, just to remind us that um, when we talk about the enemy, we're not talking about a concept. We're talking about a living being who is at times worshipped in, in throughout the world, uh, which is uh, this is why Jesus came. He came to set us free from that. Um, here's where I want to go. Our struggles then uh, are much larger than we realize. Uh, we wrestle with our own sin. Uh, we are witness to the world's brokenness and face the devil's evil plans. And so we live in a physical world, but we also live in a spiritual world. And as Christians, I believe God gathers us and makes us very well aware of that. Uh, and so Paul then goes and writes to this church in Ephesus. He says, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And that's something to keep in mind. You know, if oftentimes in relationships, when we get into... Uh, uh, into conflict with people, and we look behind it, um, often what is behind that is the world, the flesh, uh, and the devil as well. Um, notice, against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Uh, it is real, and as Christians, we need to understand that uh, very clearly. What does this mean? Two or three things, and then we're done today. We're going to have communion and go, a small communion here. Um, First is this, if you follow Jesus Christ, you're a soldier, not a civilian. Uh, and that's really crucial to know. Uh, you, you'll notice at the bottom the, the truth that I leave you. The Christian life actually is a battleground, not a playground. Uh, someone put it this way, uh, we are on a warship, not a cruise ship when we follow Jesus. Uh, and we have to understand that, that following Jesus is not living on a cruise ship. Uh, it is not living in a playground. We actually are in a battleground, and our fight is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers and the principalities and the dark forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, and so, uh, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, believe it or not, you enlisted. You enlisted and embraced Jesus as your Savior and as your King. And your King expects you to be trained uh, and prepared to fight with Him for him and with him as uh, he moves and takes ground against the enemy. Satan is already defeated, but the ground still needs to be taken in the time between when Jesus uh, lived and between when he comes again. And that's where we find ourselves in the Christian life. And so we have a job to do. And the job is to follow Jesus as his revolution uh, overtakes the world. And we are revolutionaries with him. We are enlisted in that. Um, 
Secondly, if you want to remain standing, and Paul's very clear about this, if you want to remain standing spiritually, you must wear the armor God has given you for the battle that you're in. Uh, and I guess the thing that I sometimes say to people that, that struggle with this is it, it's not a case of whether you're in uh, this battle or not. It's a case of are you prepared for this battle or not? And so if God has given you uh, armor to put on, you really should wear it. And he, he lists the armor as Paul would list it, looking at the Roman soldier that he was under the house arrest of. So here's Paul writing. I can just see him writing and going, oh, yeah, writes in that. Yeah, writes that. And, and he begins to list these things. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. All of them. Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You will have won. You will have had victory. You will be the one left standing. And then we look at the armor. Stand your ground, then putting on. Putting on the belt of truth. Putting on the body armor. The Bible calls it the breastplate. A new translation, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news of Jesus so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, put on the shield of faith that stops the fiery areas, arrows pardon me, of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Think about salvation as your helmet, protecting your mind. Salvation, the renewing of your mind in Jesus Christ. And then take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice the offensive weapon there. The offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, living in uh, the Holy Spirit. Putting on this armor, getting it on correctly, making sure it fits properly, learning how to use it, and then walking into battle with it, knowing that you now have the ability to stand firm as God trains you in this, as he renews your mind and as you wear uh, this armor. Uh, our, our house church met uh, this week, uh, uh, half of our house church. The other half meets on a different night. We're going to meet a little bit later today as well. Uh, and we had a wonderful discussion about the armor of God this week. Uh, I hope that you're in a house church. I hope that you too will have a discussion about the armor of God, about what it means, about how to wear it, about the part that one of our questions that I asked was, which one of these pieces of armor do you like the most? Which, which actually uh, means the most to you? Which is the one that maybe you're neglecting a little bit? These are great questions to ask as we follow Jesus uh, and as we, as we walk in, 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 in greater community with him and with each other, which is why we want our house churches to be the foundation of our life together. And then times like this just uh, supplement and, and, and help us in that walk as we are disciples of God. Stand your ground putting on these things. Thirdly, what does this mean? You must also stay alert and always be engaging the enemy through prayer. I love what, what, what Jim in Vegas said, and I like, uh, again, this morning, how in prayer we're saying this is important. Uh, we have the sword of the Spirit, and really we also have prayer. Uh, and Paul says, pray in the Spirit. We have the sword of the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit, the Spirit of God, at all times, and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This morning, uh, as I was praying, God reminded me to pray for believers around the world, to pray for believers wherever they are, whatever circumstances they may find themselves in. Believers such as the brothers and sisters in Peru who are facing this uh, much more in a, in a, in a, in a, in a overt way than in a covert way, in an open way, than in a hidden way.
Stay alert and be persistent. And Paul writes this, pray for me too. It's good to pray for each other, isn't it? I hope that, that you have people in your life that are partners in prayer, both with you and for you, as we come to God in prayer. Uh, I had the privilege of, 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 of praying for some people again this week and seeing answered prayer as God, in a beautiful, wonderful way, uh, brought answers to the prayers that we were diligently praying for. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, every occasion. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, the power of prayer. Prayer is not a passive, calm, and quiet practice, and this is where I want to end. Timothy Keller, a pastor in, in New York City, writes this. Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, and he healed people with prayers, and insisted that some demons could be cast out only through prayer. Again, in Peru, that's what happened. The dwindles were were left. They, they had to leave because the prayers of God's people chased them away. I have stories in Central America of something very similar where the witch doctors came and said, our power is gone. Since you arrived and started praying, our power is gone. And they had to leave and go somewhere else. Jesus prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears and sometimes all night. How many people are up for an all-night prayer meeting? We're in trouble, all right? Um, Quick little story. There's a pastor in, in, uh, in the Americas. His name is David Platt. Some of you may have heard of David. David in a, in a church, he's no longer there, but in Birmingham, Alabama, they would have Friday night prayer meetings. They'd start at 8 o'clock. They'd sometimes go to 2, 3 in the morning. Not talking together, praying together. Not going through prayer requests even, praying together for hours. And things began to happen in that city. Jesus prayed all night. Uh, it would be good for us to pray uh, as, 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 as fervently and as often as he did. Uh, he cries and tears and sometimes all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying. And he promises the Holy Spirit will anoint us as well as we pray. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples in the church on the night before he died. And then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And finally, he died praying. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If the Lord prayed, can you imagine how important he must think it is for us to pray? As we wear the armor, strap it on, never take it off. Live a life of, of, of walking into the conflict that spiritually is around us and happening right now. As I'm talking to you right now, there's a spiritual conflict. I, I, I just believe that in your minds and in your hearts as I'm bringing you even truth today. And as we walk out of here and walk into this world, the conflict that we face, knowing that we are with the victor of that conflict, praying, walking with him in that victory. Be very careful how you live, Paul writes in chapter 5. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. And then, as we've walked in today to this, it's put on all of God's armor. What does the Lord want us to do? He wants you and I to strap on his armor. It's, it's, it's been given to you. You've been issued it. You actually have been issued the armor. So don't leave it in a pile, rusting or, 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 or decaying. Strap it on and use it so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Amen? Amen.
I trust that God has spoken to us today about that and that we wear that armor with great joy and thanksgiving. The Lord does not want us to live in defeat. He wants us to live in victory. And he's, this is another example of he has given us everything we need to live in victory and in joy as we follow him. And living in the, uh, in the, in, in the conflict with Jesus is a joyful life. There is nothing to be afraid of, but it takes an alertness as we listen to the king and we follow him in his ways. Let's pray together. God, thank you for, thank you for your armor. Thank you, thank you God, that, that you have called us to join you in this battle. Thank you that we're not living in a playground. It is a battleground. Thank you that we can actually join you in this, and we can see how powerful you are as we come in prayer and we watch your power at work within us through your Holy Spirit and your power at work beyond us as you just march into conflict and, and we see amazing things happen. Father, we long to see that in our valley. We live in a valley where there is a lot of darkness. There is a lot of spiritual darkness, God, and, and it is only your light that will penetrate the darkness. We can try all sorts of human means to try to alleviate poverty and suffering and to bring your beauty into this valley, but, but it will, Lord, it will only happen as we join you in what you're doing and we pray for your will to be done here and then we walk into your will for our lives. So God, convict us of that. Lord, may we not rest. May we not retire. May we not take it easy, but Lord, may we follow you, knowing that, that within that there will be rest. Uh, there will be victory. Lord, there will be joy. There will be, Lord, uh, companionship with you and with others, God. There will be adventure. And to use another analogy, God, as we strap ourselves onto the ship that you are sailing through stormy waters as well as, as calm days, Lord, we will make it through and others will join us. Lord, that is our longing. We, we pray that, that, God, we would walk into that joyfully today in Jesus. Amen.